This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yes, Mike. Yes, Andre Vidigal indeed. How are you, mate? Joining me on this fine podcast after another victory. Hello, we're getting used to this. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really good, thank you. And you, you just basically I did exactly what you did. I kept singing it over and over and over, all the walk, all the way home. Um God, it's just great to have an atmosphere back again, I'm going to be honest. But yeah, it's been a, a good week, mate. Busy week. Uh, I'm ready for a rest. Um, so yeah, pretty good. Thank you. Well, so we aren't just going to replay the last time that Andre Vidigal scored the winning goal in a home game. <laughs> we are going to do the actual podcast. And this one is going to start with Watford nil, Stoke 1. Andre Vidigal scored 53 minutes into the match. Um, yeah, I mean, a great win. First of all, though, mate, thoughts on the selection? Yeah, well, we were obviously exchanging comments and, you know, you see everything on Twitter, everyone had an opinion on it. And, I mean, I think the best way to start with this is that it didn't actually inspire much confidence. I'm not going to lie. I had predict, I was I was iffing and ahhing between a 2-1 and a 1-1 for days. And I didn't know which way it was going to go. And I saw the lineup. I was like, I'm gone. We're going back five, back three. What 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 are we kind of doing here? Um and you know, you then you see you know Pearson, okay, yeah, he wasn't great last week, but then in what parallel universe does Jordan Thompson ever get ahead of him? That was one of the first things that was coming to mind. I was like, what's he doing here? And yeah, the the lineup it was I don't think anyone predicted it. If anyone did, then congratulations because nobody else did. Um so I think we we're all very sceptical. You've got to give Alex Neil credit in the fact that he sees these players. And I think he was trying to make a statement. You know, if I, you know, I'm really popular with Pearson, I love Pearson, blah, blah, blah. If I can drop him, you're all not safe. You better perform. And I think it was as much a, a statement that no one's untouchable. My thoughts to you were, it's either a disciplinary matter, like, you know, then, then like you say, Alex Neil's, Sort of saying, well, no, you have to toe the line just the same as everybody else. 
or it was maybe um, something to do with obviously he he was nearly missed the first game then due to a famine bereavement and obviously two or three weeks down the line. So so I wondered whether it fell into something to do with that, Um, whether whether obviously the change in shape and obviously going to three at the back and everything. I did done a lot of work on how that is going to look and what everybody's roles are within that. And maybe he'd missed a lot of those sessions. So Jordan Thompson, who'd been there and been involved, would know more about what was expected of him maybe in that in, in particular game. Um, but yeah, I could easily see that it could be just on the back of the Ipswich game as well. Um, like saying a statement earlier in the season, live on settling in, by the way, everyone thinks he's a golden boy, but he has to in his place like everybody else. Could just be that. Yeah, and that's true. Like no no player should be untouchable. If you have a bad game, don't think you're safe. Like that's that's the one thing we've had in, in, in this team over the years. You know, we've had a lack of depth. Lack of quality and depth, I think, is probably the more accurate. Um so you know, there's been certain positions that people just think they can just turn up because they're guaranteed to be on the team sheet. I would probably argue the only one, well, only two, I suppose, if you count Vidigal, but I'd say one of the only ones that clearly seem to be a bedrock is Ben Wilmot. I think he will play if he's fit all the time because, again, he is quality. Uh, he's obviously liked. But even then, if, if he has two or three really bad performances, makes multiple mistakes. We've now got Rose who could come in, McNally if he doesn't go alongside Ben. We're going to go and get another probably central defender again. He's still not safe. You play badly and you will be dropped. And I, I, I'm all for that. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think there is one, but I think it's Travers for me. I think Travers is the one. Oh, yeah. Um, unless we signed another goalkeeper... He, there's no way Jack Bonham's going back in this team unless Travers, like you say, sticks three or four in his own net. Yeah, and I mean, I was trying to stay without field players, but you're spot on. Yeah, Travers isn't going to be dropped. No, not a chance in hell. Vidigal certainly will not be dropped um, at all for a long, long time, um, if at all this season, at bar suspensions and Christ, hopefully not injuries. Um, so, yeah, and you know, you mentioned about, you know, one thing about the team playing in a certain formation. I'm going to be honest, you could tell that the players had not really trained very much in that formation. Um, I was messaging you boys, uh, and I was just saying, this midfield is looking so disjointed. They, they don't really seem to have a clue where to be and what they need to do and what their roles were. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, let's just we just need to get to half-time, and we need to get to half-time intact without conceding. Either side huffed and puffed a lot, a lot, I thought, but there was seemed to be that lack of kind of killer final ball. We just couldn't quite get there. Every time we picked up the ball, they were having like two banks of four, which you'd expect an away team to do. Um, but yeah, we, we really struggled in that first half. And I, I genuinely do think that a lot of that was down to the change in formation and the change in personnel. We all know, even, you know, the best players in the world, if you played in abnormal positions and formations with people you're not used to playing with, it's it's very, very difficult to perform. So, again, no no complaints, but we, we very much got through the first half. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of getting too far ahead, but um, I thought, you know, a, a few players um, who 
didn't do great um, overall, Dan, if, if you don't mind me pointing these out. Uh, and I mean, Henry, we all love Henry on this pod, right? I'm going to be honest here and say that was one of his poorest games in a Stoke shirt. Um, at the back, he got skinned time and time and time again. He kept leaving acres of space. He let the ball run under him a couple of times. He was literally all over the place and not in a positive way. Now, I think because Pearson wasn't there, and we talked about Thompson and Pearson, but I think because Pearson wasn't there protecting him a little bit when he was venturing forward and Thompson wasn't covering, we were leaving those gaps. Now, Henry looked great going forward. He always does. And I just think there's that side of his game that we probably just need to accept that he's going to go forward. He's going to probably score as more goals than he necessarily you know, lets them in at the other end from his errors. Um, and maybe it's just something to get used to. But um, he's entitled to a bad performance. Every player is. I just hope that's got that one out of his system because on another day we get punished and we we, we draw or lose that game because of his mistakes. So just while we're on the kind of impact of having no Pearson, I think that was a big impact. He, he had very little cover. Obviously, a lot to unpack from that. First of all, I have written down here Hoover is in the team of the week for the championship, which was a surprise to me. What? <laughs> a very big surprise. Yeah, he made the, he was the only Stoke player to make the team of the week. Um, I don't get that. I mean, I'm going to be honest, mate, even, even that cross in for Vidigal's goal, that wasn't a cross for Vidigal. That was a cross into Wesley, which went wrong and found its way through to Vidigal. That's that's all that happened there. It wasn't a, a great mesmerising cross. So, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, they must just pick these things up for you know stats on running and pass completions, which could be two yards, never mind twenty. Um, again, I, I don't want to dig into him too much. He's been a great player for us so far, and he will be a great player this season. I just thought he was the one person who really had a, a shocking game. Just mentioned it, obviously we touched on before we chased the three centre backs. Um, obviously McNally came in and looked very solid. Yeah. Um, Rose was sort of taken off once he um with about it was about twenty to go, Rose went off. Um yeah. Wilmot and McNally, would you like to see those two as a pairing now going forward? Or would you be happy for us to continue with this three at the back formation? In no. maybe in certain games or not? I wouldn't do it by choice. We, we've been there. We brought players and a team that are here to play four at the back, typically. So why do we now, when we've got the players who can go for player five? I, again, I do think he, you know, he's a far more intelligent football manager than any of us listen to this podcast. So he will know the games in which having three at the back is going to help. Um, it definitely should not be the default. You're right. I think McNally and, and, and Wilmot, they look so comfortable when it was a two, not necessarily a three. Um, but again, you can argue that that isn't a formation that they're used to playing as a three. They're effectively Ben Wilmot and two strangers. So, there's an element of that. So I'm not going to rule it out. I think the manager will know best. Continuity is a huge thing in football. So not ruling it out, but yeah, McNally and Wilmot, I would say, will be our two core pairings. Yeah, do, do you think maybe, well, obviously, that McNally and Rose will have played together when they at Coventry? And do you think that sometimes there's enough, there's too many centre-backs? Like, if you're in a back two, it's quite, you know, 
one of you covers the right side, one of you covers the left side. If you stick an extra one in there, can it sometimes, if you're not, especially if you're not used to playing that role, and if sometimes you play in the middle, then you play on the right hand side and the left. Like Wilmot has done, hasn't he? He's been shifted, you know, all three of those positions and right back and right wing back. <laughs> but there can be yeah. a confusion over who's taking what role at what time and what area. I, th- I think it's exactly that. I think it is confusion, and it takes time for that to embed. You need that solid three, just like you do with the two, really. You know, you need to have very clear um, conversations. There needs to be one, when maybe one key voice at the back. If you've got two leaders at the back, along with someone who's less experienced, well, okay, who takes the you know the the precedence there? Who listens to who? I, I think there's just too many voices sometimes at the back there. So yeah, I think Ben. That's his position. Uh, it's then for McNally and Rose to fight it out, um, and then we'll, we'll no doubt bring another centre back in as well. Especially if Rose is um, injured at the minute, it doesn't help. But uh, yeah, I, again, I think you're right. I think there's too many, too many cooks in the kitchen, if you like, uh, with having three at the back. Yeah, and then obviously just in front of them, we've, we've mentioned him already. But Jordan Thompson, I mean, he was getting plenty of love post match. Um, yeah. I think he had one of his better games, actually. I mean, I think I've mentioned before that he's played over a hundred, over a hundred games now for Stoke, and you can barely name one performance of note. But I think in the future you could definitely put, you know, Watford at home, August twenty twenty three on that list, couldn't you? I think he he sort of you know knew his job, went and got on with it, and then actually did a damn good job at, damn good effort at it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Like I say, I don't, I don't like Jordan Thompson, and it's not because for any other reason than I just don't think he's good enough for what we want to become. Now, I think if you're a bottom half of the, you know, division team, maybe a Rotherham or something like that, then you know, maybe that's right. You know, the more gritty player, it's more about keeping possession and not giving the ball away and, um, you know, just maybe cutting out a few passes. I think that's where he he's, he's actually generally can be quite strong. The problem is when we want to play fast, attacking football, dynamic football in, in the middle, unfortunately, Jordan slows the bloody ball down. He gets the ball and plays crab football, as I, as, as I and, like, and many other people like to call it. But, you, but you, you know, at the same time, you've got to give him plaudits. Yes, he had one of his better games, it's not hard to get better than what he's previously produced uh, in recent times, if I'm honest. Um, you know, there was plenty of groans and moans um, in the preseason friendlies. And I think uh, one of the earlier games where he's, he'd literally slowed the ball completely down while we're trying to attack. Stuff like that. Um, and again, I will point out that while he did have a good game, for me, he did, again, didn't protect that midfield and those defenders well enough. And then on another day, again, Henry will concede goals. Ben Pearson, for me, if you watch him, he is left and right-hand side of that defensive position, largely down the right-hand side where Henry is. So when Henry goes forward, he fills in. You know, He's like a Jack Russell. He's all over the place, right? So that wasn't there. Now, unless Jordan figures out that that's what he needs to do when he covers, we're in trouble. Um, and for me probably well desperately need to replace him the only thought process here is we've got a lot of business to do do i see him being replaced in this summer window probably not uh i think we'll i think we've got other positions i still think we might be looking at you know again another striker 
potentially another left back. Uh, I know we've got Stevens and Tymon. Um, I aren't convinced that he's convinced with Josh Tymon right now, if I'm honest with you. So I wouldn't be surprised another one there. I mentioned the centre-back. We've got some other positions. Yes, we've got money. But I think we do need a defensive midfielder, Dan. We won't get one of Pearson's quality, I don't think, um, because we can't keep two of them happy. Maybe we've already got one in the door. Maybe Lewis Baker can come back because that was the problem with Lewis Baker. He was out. We played him in an advanced position. Then we played in defensive position. He didn't seem to know which one to do. You know, he's an intelligent player, Baker. Maybe he could be moulded into either a Johnson replacement or a Pearson replacement. Well, a, uh, Clive Clark was very sort of um, you know, very negative around the performance, and especially the midfield. And actually, sort of you know, said that the three of them, none of them were good enough. Johnson, Loren, or Thompson, none of them in the current positions were actually good enough um, for a team that wants to be looking at the playoffs, and they all need replacing. Uh, That's obviously, too harsh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think what you would say it was Daniel Johnson maybe was dropping a little bit too deep in this match, but I think the game was a bit scrappy, wasn't it? And the midfield role for us seemed to be to stop their midfield from creating any chances. And mm-hmm. I think Alex Neal was maybe thinking he'll sacrifice our midfield to nullify theirs because we've got more strength in the wide areas with, yeah, you know, you've Vidigal, um, you're thinking you've got to Hoover getting forward, Stevens getting forward. Um, and then obviously as well, he's then uh, thinking that obviously if we stop Watford's midfield, then that stops them getting the ball forward into their attack. And he actually trusts us to win the game in other areas. I think yeah. that's what came with that setup. And I think what then happened was, like you say, our midfield looked disjointed because their job maybe wasn't to get on the ball and and then pass it around. It was merely they were just three disruptors. And I wonder whether that probably wasn't the right game for Daniel Johnson because that's not his game. He's shown us plenty of energy so far, but for me, I'd like to. I think he needs to be pushed. He needs to be at the front of that midfield three, definitely, doesn't he? Like, you know, taking up areas further forward where he can actually influence the game more and use to his strengths. And that's why you need, again, we keep mentioning him, that's why you need a Pearson in there doing his job. Because then Johnson can be comfortable that he doesn't need to worry about tracking back 20 yards to try and cover something, that another gap. So if if Thompson's, let's say, covering Henry, that obviously keeps a gap in there, which means Johnson has to step back. Um, If he doesn't step back, then, you know, Josh Loren's got to do that. But then we've got a gap on the other side. So that's where, again, continuity, people used to playing with each other. They've got defined roles that's where we need to try and keep the same formation same lineup wherever we can and i think alex neil in his press conference at the end said that you know he he'd ask players maybe to play in let's say more, more less natural positions they were with limited time limited practice um and they did a, a stellar job so i think that's exactly that done um i mean josh loren i mean clive clark i mean i like clive clark he was in an era for me and you, Dan, that we, you know, it was it was a decent era, from what I remember rightly. I have I have uh, faded a lot of it into my background, but Clive Clark it was, it, at was a lower like, level. A lot of it was at a lower level, but we did win a lot yeah. of games and score a lot of goals. 
We did, and he was, and Clive Clark was a great left back. Like he, he really was a good solid left back for us. Um, but to say that that midfield isn't good enough at all for a promotion chasing team, Josh Lorenz a bloody great midfielder. Let's not forget that. Yeah, he had a, a mediocre game at best at the weekend. Again, he's entitled to have a bad game. Like we, whatever. Yeah. Daniel Johnson, we've we've already said that. But mate, Loren, that that's harsh for me. Would you like his comments on Loren in particular? Oh, go on. Yeah. He said that he's trying to be something he's not, and he's not <laughs> he's he's not good enough going forward and doesn't he, he picks wrong passes, he doesn't like influence the game going forward, and but he tries to do that because like modern midfielders want to be everything. He's not a box to box midfielder. If he stuck to this being the defensive side of the job, he'd be he wouldn't be at Stoke long because the Premier League team are coming for him. What he needs to do is sit and be a sitting holding midfielder and he'd be one of the best in the division. But he tries to do too much and tries to be better than than he actually is going forward. I wonder what Josh's thoughts are on that comment. Mm. I wonder if he even cares what Clive Clark doesn't know what Clive Clark did probably, and Clive Clark was not a midfielder, so I don't see why he's got um, the uh, the master cheat code on being a, an attacking midfielder. He did move centre midfield, didn't he, towards the mm. end of the and then he played there for West Ham and Sunderland. Uh. I mean, I don't remember many good performances in that position. Again, we're going back some years, but no, I mean, for me, Clive Clark, worry about your defenders, mate. Uh, like that, That's what you know best. And no, I, I'm not accepting that. To, to make that comment off one poor game a couple of games into the season, nah, sorry. Yeah, he, he didn't seem to be very happy at the weekend, <laughs> uh, judging from the, well, what I've read in that anyway. But yes, um so I think the thing to say is obviously Vidigol, Vidigol, Andre Vidigol, four and four. What a finish. Um, and I believe obviously Alex Neal says that as they were leaving to go out for the second half, he said, don't worry, boss, I've got this. I'm going to score <laughs> eight minutes yeah. later. One nil. <laughs> He's got the, um, the Marco Arnautovic cockiness, hasn't he? Yeah. I don't mind there. that. He's got the cockiness. <laughs> I know yeah. Ireland was ten, wasn't he? Ireland was at seven. Ireland was Stephen Ireland wore seven, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean these some of these foreign players when they know they've got a bit of skill, a bit of arrogance or cockiness. I don't care. Like you know, if if you've got the ability and you're showing the ability to back it up, you say what you want. Uh, I I don't care that. But you're right that the guy is sublime, and I think that's the only way you can put it. For four hundred and thirty or four hundred and fifty grand, uh, was it Maritimo or whatever? Is I think they they are going to feel absolutely robbed. They're going to wish they'd they charged us a couple of million quid because right now the guy's on fire. Like the, it's not only you know the the attacking direct play that he does. It's the fact he does not need multiple chances to score. That's one thing you can say about so many strikers, Dan, is, you know, they'll have five five shots and they'll score one of them, sometimes not even those good ratios. This guy seems to get a shot, and every time he has a shot, it goes in the net. Now, yes, we're early on the season, but he's already got four goals. If he carries on like this, he's going to be a 20-goal season striker. And then good luck keeping hold of him next summer. He won't go in January because we will not sign that off. But good luck keeping him in the summer if he does that. Yeah, if people are going to be coming in for him, 
now. I think if Stoke were buying him now, for example, they'd be paying like say two, three million quid at least, wouldn't they? Um, he's, he's just take the crown running. I think, yeah, there, there has been times in the past where people have come in, they've scored a shed load of goals, and then it's sort of just drifted away, hasn't it? But with him, like you say, it's the ability, the skill levels, the technique all seems to be there. So you can't really see where where he could falter with it, can you? Touch wood. <laughs> yeah, and there's still, there's still time to go. And I, I'm very conscious of putting everything on him. I, I think we, we might touch on it, but I'd love to see how this guy's going to be with um, with Tyrus Campbell. Uh, who's going to be coming back potentially this weekend? It's a, it's a tricky one as well because Vidigal has been scoring all of his goals down the left. That's Tyrese's spot. Does this mean it's Vidigal's spot and Tyrese is the one who's going to have to figure out where, where he wants to play? Uh, it's a great problem to have, but I want to see how these two play together. Did I mention it last week, or am I might have said it in the week to you in passing? But obviously, Tyrese predominantly left-footed, Vidigal predominantly right-footed. And obviously Neil has said anti for teams that play with compact defenses or defenses that spread the you know do the um, spread the play if you like and and you use the full width of the pitch. It depends whether he wants his inverted wingers playing on the opposite sides or whether he's natural wingers. So you know your right foot playing on the right, left foot playing on the left. Um, but the fact that one is you know one is left, one is right. Actually, I think they probably could play together. Um, and they probably aren't going for the same spot because whereas Vidigal's been playing on the left as a right footer, Alex Neal, I don't think, would have put Tyrese on that side in those matches. He probably would have played him on the other side if he's going by how he's saying he sets his teams up. The only other thing really I want to touch on is obviously Wesley's first league start. So how, how did you feel he did? Yeah, you know what? I think the thing with Wesley is a nuisance. Um and that is almost as influential as, as scoring goals sometimes. Um, like he was obviously as physical. Like we know that he didn't really have many opportunities to actually have a proper shot on goal. It wasn't. It wasn't one of them games where you've got three, four, five chances. Um, you know, a lot of the times he's had he's back to goal, trying to bring other players in. I think touch could have been a little better at times, but I just think that's going to come with time. Like that's not too much for criticism uh, for him to be honest it it will come but like I say that he just gives defenders a problem every time so even if he acts as a distraction and lets Andre and Tyrese and you know Mai whoever's around him at that point even if he just allows them to get into the game and they do their thing I think that's a great asset and something that again we did not have last season yeah so um, I'm just going to round off the uh, the Watford game now uh, with your man of the match poll. So this man of the match poll did made its debut on our shiny new website. Didn't it? Mind you, know the uh, the website address. Yeah, I, I do. So um, it's basically the initials of every step along the way. So as you can imagine, it's uh, esatw.co.uk. So it's just the initials of the podcast, basically. Um, so thank you to everyone who's signed up. It's gone uh, busier than we expected. So. Yeah, it's going to, um, as with all forums and stuff, when you first start stuff, it does take a little time to grow and get the traffic coming through and the posts flowing. Um, but yeah, if people want to sign up, have a little browse, have a look. If you want to post something, post something. And I'm sure the more people that start doing that, the quicker it'll start picking up a bit of traction. Um, and yeah, so 
Yes, please. No, no, uh, no, no slinging of insults and or naughtiness, please. We'll keep, <laughs> we'll keep it good. Keep yeah, it this pleasant. isn't the opaque. Don't start doing that. But I think that's that's obviously why when we set it up, it was like, right, there's an absolute zero tolerance. Like, it's it's fine to have an opinion. It's fine to be passionate about your opinion. If people start calling people names, you're out. It's as simple as that for me. So be respectful. Um, And, you know, it's not just the forum, is it? We're going to add some new stuff to it uh, probably as time goes on. If anyone's a writer and wants to do some content writing, let us know. Um, And, you know, we'll probably add a... Uh, like a blog type section on but um yeah it's a work in progress but it's it's up and running if you want to join and we also have a nice um automatic link straight to the podcast exactly so you don't even need to download you know itunes or anything like that um, it's literally there for you to listen to um yes so this first man of the match poll that was held on the forum on our shiny new website was won by Luke McNally, 33% of the votes. Andre Vidigal was second with 30%, and then third was Mark Travers with 12%. Um, that seemed about fair to you. I think, I think it was definitely between McNally and Vidigal. For me, those two really were the shining, the shining lights and then the match. I would say all three of them deserve it, if I'm honest. I think Travers is... His key saves uh, kept us in the game, like I say, when we when we made a couple of mistakes. Um, so I think Travers is harsh to be third, if I'm honest. Um, I'm personally, oh, I I I give it to Vidigal just just for the reason that I think for me Andre is is literally the difference between you know zero and one point and one point and three points. Um, so I think Vidigal gets it. Travers next and um, McNally would be third, but they all deserve credit to be honest. Yeah, I think, like you said, there with Vinegal, um, these are the kind of games, aren't they, where I might be getting well ahead of myself here and you know, might to throw some cold water over me, calm me down. But when teams that get promoted or teams that end up in the promotion race, it's players like Vinegal that have gone them scrappy games where nobody looks like scoring and then bang out of nowhere, they've won the game for you and collected three points. Yeah, you can't win pretty all the time. You've got to grind out results, and it's exactly what we did against Watford. Yeah. Um, early player of the season standings, uh, joint fifth place is Johnson, Sidibe and Loren, all on 50 points. Travers is fourth with 57. Isn't it nice to have a solid goalkeeper who people don't who trust to keep shots out? Um, third is Luke McNally with 74. Second is Ben Wilmot with 82. And ahead on 116 points, Andre Bidigal. Right. Let's get into the news section. So, under-18s, they didn't have a game last week. Still licking their wounds from the uh, 6-1 mauling that they had the week before. Uh, But they do get a chance to put that right this week when they host Manchester United. Uh, So, Saturday, 11am, kick-off at Clayton Wood and Man United are visiting. Uh, And the under-21s, they also play Man United on Saturday with a midday kick-off. But that one's away. Um, so yeah, so both both the uh, youth sides are playing Man United on Saturday. Uh, say eleven o'clock for the under 18s and twelve o'clock for the under twenty ones. Um, this week the under twenty ones did get their first win of the season, so they had a two one home win against Wolves with first half goals from Demarjo Wright Phillips and Dara McGuinness. 
before Wolves were reduced to 10 men in the second half, forced a really bad foul apparently on Sol Sidibe. So uh, yeah, trying to um, chop him down a bit. Now he's now he's getting a bit of first team action, and obviously seen as the, as the uh, one of the key players in that side as well, aren't they? I suppose as well, then the people you're going to move to in a minute, the new signings. Um, there's only so much room on that bench, and he he might not find himself on it. No, and uh, at 16, he's had a taste of it now. He can probably, if he, if that is the case, if he drops off. Um, then he knows the standard that's required. He's had a little look. He's played that League Cup game. Um, he'll probably come back for the League Cup game against Rotherham, which is next week, isn't it? Um, and then probably go from there when the transfer window shuts and see where we're at midfielder-wise. Um, but yeah, I think I say the under-21s, Demarge, you're right, Philip Starr McGuinness, two players who probably... Not going to feature too much, although Demarge, you know, he, he had a decent preseason. He scored goals and under twenty-one when he scores when he plays under twenty-one, should I say? He seems to be scoring quite regularly in preseason and and obviously now when the season started. So I do think that you know he, he's pushing, he's doing all he can. I wonder if it's just a case that Alex Neal just. Doesn't doesn't fancy him, but he doesn't fancy his style. Doesn't fancy his you know what he brings to the table, if you like. And um, it, it could be a thing with his stature. You just just don't know, do you? No, no, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to say. That that's just it. We've got that much talent around around the the team, though. Dan is there's only so many places, isn't there? And you know, Alex might be getting the taste for maybe a promotion push this year. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but if he's feeling that he has the team around him, he's got to be careful how many inexperienced players he puts into his first team and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's either youth ranks or otherwise for me. Um, so, the women's team. So, last week they lost 3-1 at West Bromwich Albion on their opening game of this season. Um, they don't have a game this week, but there is some big news coming out. So... Pod favourite and somebody who's been really, really helpful to us to inform us and been, you know, more than willing to come on the podcast. And she's been a guest on here. She's done whole pods. She's sent us voice notes uh, to keep you all informed about the the, the goings on at the the women's football club uh, here. She's she's left, so Lou Roberts has left Stoke Women. So I'll read you her statement that she put out last night. She says, After 13 years at my childhood club, the time has come to find a new challenge. I've been fortunate enough, fortunate enough to see it evolve as a player and a coach, and I hope it continues to flourish long into the future. I've been lucky enough to play and work alongside some great people. I take away great memories. I've made friends for life, and I've loved the experiences we've shared together. Thank you for sharing the journey and making it so enjoyable. I'll be your biggest fan from afar, up the mighty Potters. Um, Shame that. Yeah, I think obviously she's twice Lou's been put in sort of, I say temporary charge of his team, but both times it seemed to be for months and months on end. Once it, she's you know been asked to fill the fill the gap, and she's done it and done some great work there. Um, like I say, she's always been really open with us, and she and been willing to to come and, and and inform people and be a link between you know the 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 listeners to this podcast and the women's team. And I think 
I just I think basically from the um, I don't know what you want to say as well, Mike, but I just want to say thank you to Lou for for that time that she gave up for us and um yeah, for being as 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 open and as as uh, honest in that when she was on as she was. Yeah, just just a genuinely lo- lovely person, mate. To be honest, um, and yeah, we we will be getting Lou back on for Christmas. She doesn't know it yet, but uh, she <laughs> she will she will be coming back on for Christmas because I just there's certain people it just wouldn't be right to not have on have on here, and um, we will be having the keyword as Arsenal. I will never let that go, and I will bring it up on this pod probably for the rest of of our podcast career. Um, So, yeah, Lou, we definitely want you back for Christmas, uh, which, believe it or not, is not actually that far away. Uh, But, yeah, the women team, they're going through a hell of a lot of transformation. Clearly, the semi-pro transition uh, is making people take stock of their personal circumstances and, you know, what they they want as individuals. You know, not everyone – I mean, let's, let's be honest, the women's team is not massively paid like the men's team is. So they've got you know, other jobs, some of them, they've got other careers, other hobbies and stuff they want to take up. They've got a call to make, whether that's going to be Stoke City Football Club, or whether that's going to be in a new direction. And it's not going to work for everybody. And it's not to say that that's Lou's situation, because I aren't privy to that. But um, it's just to make you understand that the club are changing. And maybe this is a perfect time for the ladies to look at themselves and think, what do I want out of it? So good luck to all of them have gone. Good luck to Lou. No doubt we will see her pop up somewhere and uh, we'll definitely see her back on here anyway. Yeah, and um, I thought I could sort of... You know, I replied to on that face and just said, you know, the mic is... Uh, the mic's always open whenever she wants to drop in. Uh, same as, you know, we have loads of guests and she's... Yeah, she's she's a, a Stoke fan, isn't she, through and through. Whilst we're on the subject of the women's team, it has today been announced that head coach Marie Horahan has appointed Ellie Leak as the new captain. Um, so, yeah, somebody else wearing the armband as well after Meg Bowyer's uh, retirement earlier this summer. And uh, long-serving forward Royzen Caval has been appointed as vice-captain. So, yeah, they've got a new captain and vice-captain then. So, um yeah, best of luck to them. Like I say, we'll be, we'll be keeping in, in touch as much as we can and uh, bringing you the news and everything for the women's team as the season goes on. Transfers. So, we have completed a double signing today, Mike. I mean, we may even have more players in by the time this podcast goes out. <laughs> but yes, two sides. So, we've got Jodzic and... Hmm, how are we going to say this one? Levis... <laughs> Lewis, until we get corrected, this is a bit like the Mai situation, isn't it? May, May, like, the, yeah. I mean, John T, when he was announcing him, I was like, oh my God, even he's saying it different now. Like, what the <laughs> hell is it? Like, I'm I'm saying whatever I want to now because I'm, I'm fed up of it. But you're right, yeah. To, uh, we're going to call him Nicola and uh, Lewis for now. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> right. So we'll start on Jodic. So confirmed. Right winger, 19 years old, Serbian youth international. Undisclosed fee, as always, but rumoured to be around a million pounds. Uh, he's going to wear number 21. Thoughts on this signing? To me, it's what I've seen of him. He looks very talented and very exciting. I can get behind this signing. Yeah, I, mean, I think like a lot of people, the only things we've seen of what we've seen on YouTube and stuff like that, it, it, he's, he's one of them. He's a bit like Larry's actually. You know, he... He fits into that athletic runner, two-footed. Can you know? We look at some of his goals, some of them headers. Um, he seems to be able to play on either side. 
uh, for me and you know scores and assists from both sides as well. So that is never going to be a bad thing. Let's let's be honest. Um, what that means, as I said, for all the other players we've got, you know, Chico, Mai, Tyrese, and there's the, the competition there is absolutely insane. But you know, you're right. He's 19 years old. I think Ricky Martin came out and said that you know they've got a plan to bring him into the first team. What that kind of looks like, I'm assuming that's a you'll get on the bench and get ten minutes here, five minutes there, and we'll slowly build you up and see if you're capable of of being in the team. Maybe you'll play some under twenty one games, um, or under under twenty three rather uh, these days. Um, so it'll be interesting just to see where it is. But the most important thing, Dan, is a two footed winger. He's got apparently great technical ability and. I've seen some of the crosses and, and bits from YouTube and whatnot. He looks like he can he can really get stuck in. And, and like I said, he fits into that runner mold. So time will tell how long it takes him to break in. But um, yeah, he, he looks tidy. And, and let's be honest, we're not spending over a million quid on him to go and sit in the under-23s for the next you know, 10, 20, 30 games. So expect him to be in, in and around that first team, I think. Yeah, it's um, just... Just so you know, it's back to being under twenty ones again. <laughs> oh, I've got to lose track. It's it's whatever. Yeah, the, let's just say yeah. youth. <laughs> what, yeah, it's what the, the higher youth level. Um, but yeah, the um, I think like you were saying there, he's going to be straight into the first team area, isn't he? He, he may play, you know, may play in the under twenty ones to get fitness or whatever, but. I think that you say they've brought him in to be involved. I believe he averages a goal involvement, so a goal or an assist every other game in his career so far, which for a young lad is pretty phenomenal, really, to have that kind of record. Um, but it was, I think, did you pick up on something about the areas he sort of takes up as well, and you know how he likes where he likes to receive the ball from what you've the videos you've seen of him? Um, yeah, yeah, he's he's a bit. I can say I think he's very much a little bit like Larry's actually. I know we're kind of going on to him, but I, I think it, they seem to be able to play on either side. And again, it seems that versatility is the is the one thing we're looking at. But it seems like he can play predominantly down the right hand side. Um, but again, I guess it's that that two footed nature of what he does. It, the, he can go on both. But like I say, I think predominantly it looks to be the right hand side. Um, we're going to have, again, I don't know what Alex Neal's going to do here. He's going to have a bloody hard time trying to keep these players um, happy and settled and find the best best positions. I reckon it's going to take him at least until Christmas to try and figure out what his nailed-on first 11 is. Nice, nice position to be in, though, Dan. Yeah, definitely. I think he's, he obviously, last season was struggling. He only had certain attacking options. There wasn't any chance to rotate. Um he maybe had to bring in people like Tesco before he possibly wanted to. He was whereas he'd like to play his younger players like Tesco and Lowe because they had really not give him any other option but to play him. A bit similar to how he said about Sadibi, and he said Sadibi's earned his way through you know, his way up the pecking order, so to speak. Um I think the last season maybe he was forced to play those players. Um, and I think he didn't want to get in the situation again where he felt he had no other options. Um, because obviously both those two I just mentioned, Tesco and Lowe, actually got injured, didn't they? So he's he's bare back up. He's two 16-year-old, 17-year-old lads, both ended up injured. Um, 
So he literally the attacking options we had were the three that were out there, and I think he's making sure that that does not happen again. And one signing that's really going to make that sure that doesn't happen again is Mady Laris, confirmed. Um, again, the rumoured cost is around million, a million pounds, undisclosed though. Now he's in a right-sided attacker, so we play he plays on the right wing. He's right-footed. 25 years of age, Algerian international, will wear the 27 shirts, but interestingly, when he plays for Algeria, he plays at right wing back. So, I know he's, if you look at his sort of his goal stats and that, there's a very, very sort of low figure there of of how many goals he scored in his career. Uh, I think the maximum he's got, is it three in a season, I think? There were three league goals in a season the most, but he's been playing in Serie A, so it's not as if he's been playing at a bad standard, has he? Um, no, I think the thing with him, though, Dan, from what from what I've seen, he seems to be more of a provider um, than, than he does a goal scorer. He doesn't seem to be in the finishing positions. Yeah, um, from I mean, obviously we're only going off what we've seen and you know reports that we read, but to me he looks like the Jacob Brown replacement, the man who's going to come in if we need you know if we need a workhorse and we need somebody to press and 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 you know really hurry and, and push the you know the fullbacks back and everything. That to me sounds like ideal to him. I mean, I love his comment that he came when he signed and he said he'd been in the ground at the weekend, he'd watched the game, he loved the atmosphere and everything. He can't wait to get started. You know, all the sound bites that players would generally say when they sign. And then he said, for me, the bare minimum when I play football is that I sweat the jersey, which I assume means he's going to run himself into the ground until he's sweating buckets and can't run no more. And if he does that, I don't think ability-wise, people they will they may question it if it's not there, but they will never ever go at him and and abuse him or whatever. Um, if he's uh, if he's doing that, I think you're right. This couldn't be a more Jacob Brown replacement if he tried, could it? Uh, Mid twenties gives 110 percent runs, versatile, can play right wing, right back. Right, said the forward. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's Jacob Brown, Mark Two. We've gone from John Walters, Mark Two, with Jacob to now. Does that make him a, a Jacob Brown, Mark Three? Uh, oh, John Walters, John Mark, Walters three. Mark Three. <laughs> John Walters, Mark Three. Yeah. Uh, let's see how far we can take it. But uh, yeah, I, I think this is you've hit the, hit the nail on the head. This is a replacement for Jacob Brown. Um, and then we'll see where, uh, uh, you know, Nicola, whatever you want to call him, uh, slots in throughout the whole season. But yeah, no, no complaints here. He's not coming in to be someone for the future in mid twenties. He's starting to go towards that mid part of his career where he's going to hit his peak in two or three years. So, um, yeah, really interesting signings, Dan. Yep. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, I don't think the door's closed either. I think there's the, uh, there's probably going to be a few more coming in, a couple more, and possibly a couple going out as, as the transfer window you know, gets ready to to slam shut in about a week's time by the time this goes out. So, yeah, it should be an interesting, interesting week or so ahead. Um, the poor HR and- team at Stoke, mate. <laughs> but they got like all the paperwork and stuff they've had to do, and but the FA are like, oh bloody hell, Stoke have put another one through. <laughs> Not another, another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you can see it, can't you? Oh, like, I can't stand this. <laughs> I do wonder what the clubs think of us when we're signing all these players. I mean, it's, I don't know. Do they pay much attention? I think they've got to pay attention to clearly our league position. Like right now, we're justifying where we are, and clearly we've signed players. I'm just, you know, every club thinks they're signing the best players in the world. Um, at the end of the day, like we're we're probably no different to that. Um. But yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see where these go. Either way, down we've we've got some good players. But uh, good luck to the to the ladies and gents in the HR team at Stoke City. You're going to be busy. I um I was watching the you know the Burnley documentary. Oh yeah, on Sky. I was watching the first episode of that, and uh, there's the the fans go on there, and obviously Vincent Company has taken over in the summer, and he's brought all these players in. A lot he brought in from sort of. Um, so from his time in Belgium, didn't see people who he knew. And, and the fans said, we have never known a turnover like this of players in the last 40 years. I thought, that sounds familiar to us this season. <laughs> I can't remember the last time we had so many signings in one sort of summer. I wouldn't mind a successful turnover of players like that, um, personally. So, yeah, but you're right. Though. We, we're always cautious about this when we on and off the pitch, all these changes, but... Maybe, like I said, you know, it's going to go probably one of two ways. The most likely way would have been it's going to be ups and downs throughout the season. We might just miss out on the playoffs, um, you know. But maybe the flip side that I gave of maybe everything will just click. It does happen. Uh, we've seemed to have a. I tell you what, before we move off transfers, Jared, this guy, what a breath of fresh air this has been. Like with the fact we don't know these players, it's not a, it's not a John Smith coming through the door, you know, there's there's a bit of flair, a bit of, again, we use the word a lot today, you know, versatility, you know, there's there's, there's a lot of that, like, it's it's so refreshing to see, like, we just seem to be a different club, and we have a direction, you know, the, the, they're backing the manager, um, just, I don't know, Dan, it just feels different, it, it can't feel much worse than it has been, but it just feels so much better, and what, what a signing he's been, that's the sign in the summer, well, it's interesting as well. There was, I think it was the Georgic signing. The club said they've been tracking him for 12 months, apparently from when Alex Neal came into the club. So I wonder where, because he would have only been 18 at that point, I wonder where Alex Neal sort of spotted him in that 12 months ago to come in the club and say, you know, I want to keep an eye on this player. Let's get him properly scouted and let's see if he's as good as he as he thinks he is like. Maybe it's just stats and stuff because I mean our our like staff in terms of you know abroad and scouts and stuff like that. I swear we downgraded a lot of that when we got relegated. Like we didn't have that breadth anymore. So whether it's just like is it Y Scout or whatever they use these days? So whether it was just a load of stats and a load of stuff like that, and then Jared's obviously known more because he's come in with this knowledge, or maybe he's had very little to do with that particular one. Uh, it's either way. If you take even if you just take this take one of them out. Um, it's been a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's exciting times, isn't it? I mean, like I said, just as just round off transfers, uh, a week left in the window. Ideally for you, thirteen players have come in. Who would you like to see? Well, what positions would you like to see uh, come in? And you can say first choice, back up, whatever. Hmm. Um, Shall we throw mine? Tricky. There? I tell you what. I wouldn't mind seeing another left back. 
we know that we like Josh Timon on here. Um, I'm still not convinced that Stevens is going to give us 46 games. Um, and I think Timon, I don't know, he's not quite come back the same player yet. So I would take definitely another left back. Um, maybe, you know, Laris is going to come in here and be our new versatile, you know, versatile uh, kind of right wing back or right back, whatever, whatever we decide to do with him. Um but I still wouldn't mind seeing somebody else there as well. So left back, right back, centre back covering from a youth capacity, maybe. Um, and then another target, man. The rest of it, I think we can get by until January. Yeah, for me, I'd, I'd like a right back. Um, maybe another centre back, just because I don't want, really don't want to get caught you know, short in that position, if you like. Um I think we yeah I think we can do with Bonham as backup goalkeeper for now. If the opportunity was there to bring somebody in as a, as a number two keeper, I'd take it and move Bonham out. Um, but yeah, if I had to pick a couple of players, I'd have a centre half and a right back, a backup right back, obviously, and a backup centre half. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, uh, any uh, sort of any other business if you like. Uh, just just wanted to say that twenty twenty Stoke are massive. Um, if we've, I've just watched Rangers versus PSV in the Champions League tonight. Ended two two, and uh, Rangers' goals were scored by Abdullah Masima and Rabbi Matondo. So yeah, <laughs> did more did more than they did for Stoke the pair of them there in this game, and um, two good goals as well. Who needs them when you got Vidigal? Exactly. Right. Mill wall away. Let's have a chat about that. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Stone, Michael, would you like me to reel off some stats for you? Go for it. So we have played Millwall 59 times. We have 23 wins, 15 draws and 21 defeats. At Millwall, we have met them on 29 occasions, winning six times, drawing nine and losing 14 times. Our last win at the New Den was in 2005, a 1-0 win with John Halls scoring the games on the goal. Uh, a team that was managed by Johan Boskamp. Uh, so, yeah, he was in charge last time we were there. And that was also in August, by the way. So, omens and all that business. Uh, our last five trips to Millwall, though, have seen us get two points, but score just this one single goal in those five matches. In fact, this hasn't been a game that's produced many goals. So, the last 17 meetings between these two sides, both home and away... Um, not one has seen over three goals in a game. So, yeah, it's been 17 meetings since there's been over three goals in a Stoke Millwall fixture, uh, which runs back to 2003. And in fact, those 17 matches have seen just 24 goals scored. So, what's that? One, one and a third, about just over one and a third goals a game. You'd want that for one team, let alone both of them put together, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it, sh- it it just shows. I don't think that's going to change with Gary Rowett either. To be honest, we know how he plays. Um, yeah. So uh, I wouldn't put your bets on over three and a half goals this weekend, people. 
No. So this is um, Alex Neal versus Millwall. Three wins, two draws, five defeats. Gary Rowett versus Stoke. Five wins, two draws, one defeat. Oof. Incidentally, all eight games of Corm post is Stoke reign. So it, he hadn't faced us. He hadn't managed to t- against a Stoke team until he'd been the Stoke manager. Since then, he's done eight matches and that's his record. Five wins, two draws, one defeat. Now, this is a really interesting one. I cannot for the life of me understand why. Alex Neal versus Gary Rowett. They've met nine times. There's been two draws. And Gary Rowett has been victorious seven times. Alex Neal has never beaten a Gary Rowett team in nine matches. That's all about to change. Yes. In, funnily enough, the last point that Alex Neal got against the Gary Rowett side was when he t- when his Preston team drew 2-2 with Gary Rowett's Stoke side. <laughs> <In, laughs> no way. Um, which actually was a game on Sky, I believe, when Alex Peters scored late on, equalised uh, with, a, with a thunderbolt from the edge of the box. Um, but yeah, it was just funny how, like I say, the last time Alex Neal got a result was when he was against Stoke. Um, yeah, so Stokes away record this season, played one, lost one, um, got uh, no win and only one goal in our last four away games going back since the 4-0 win away at Coventry. Millwall at home this season, played two, lost two. So they've lost 1-0 at home to Bristol City and they lost 4-0 at home to Reading in the Carabao Cup. And you might think, well, you know, these stick reserves out. That team against Reading, I think you remember you looked at the time, didn't you? It did not, it was not much change from the team that played the, the week before. So, you know, that was a, a shocking result, really, um, where that came from. Uh, their last four home games, uh, they, yeah, they've lost, sorry, their last four home games as well now, dating back to the end of the last season. And they've only won one of their last seven at home. Um, and if we win on Saturday, it will be our second best start in the last 25 years. Only 2021-22, uh, where Michael O'Neill's side got 10 points from the first four games, would we have been better off after four four matches? Referee David Webb from County Durham. So five matches. Uh, so this season, he's ref three matches. 12 yellow cards, no reds, no penalties, no home wins, one draw and two away wins. So you can keep that ratio up. <laughs> um, in fact, Saturday is his 200th professional match he's refereed in. Um, so in the previous 199, he's produced 581 yellows, 23 reds and gave 44 penalties. So he's not a massive cards man, but he has gone up to four again this season. Obviously, sticking to the letter of the law and all that, uh, he nearly doubled the amount of yellow cards he gives out. He's refed Millwall on 13 occasions. They've had four wins, four draws, five defeats. At home, they've refereed him four times with two wins, a word draw, and a single defeat. In those 13 games, though, he's only produced 13 yellows for Millwall. No red cards, one penalty for and one penalty against. Uh, for Stoke, he's refereed them 10 times, three wins, six draws, and just one defeat in the 10 times he's refereed the Potters. Good job, mate. 
how many weeks did it take you to pull all that? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> ne- never stop surprising me. But yeah, so pretty um, poor away form from us. What was that? Lost 14, I think you said. Boss comes last time we won. So um, I think the one thing I would probably say about this game personally, and we've obviously all seen it on social media, you referred to it earlier, like they seem a, a club who is very much in the uh, kind of row it out camp. Um, you know, the signs are the same things, you know, the moaning about the players. And I know you're probably going to mention this, but like the moan, moaning about the players, the reception that he gets from the fans, you know, all the stuff that he banged on about before he got sacked here. Now, it's normally managers, or our managers, shall we say, really, that, you know, get sacked when and when an opposing team comes to town and want to put a final nail in the coffin. And it's quite ironic how it could very well be uh, us nailing in those uh, nails into that coffee, mate. So it should be interesting to see how it goes. But I think for me, Dan, this game, importantly, we need to get that first goal. If we get that first goal, their fans will turn they will get on the back, they'll be booing, there'll be abuse being thrown at the manager, you would imagine. I think it will end up being the final straw for a lot of those fans, if I'm obviously interpreting their anger that I've seen online, if you like. Um, I, I think I've seen a lot of different comments coming through, but uh, yeah, we get that first goal, I think they'll potentially crumble. The main thing with them is, obviously, Tom Bradshaw scored, uh, I think, I believe it was 17 goals last season for them. Um, and, obviously, he's been in the side, scored 17 goals, great partnership with Zian Fleming, two up front. Um, they come in this season, they've got a new striker, uh, Lisby. He's dropped um, Zian Fleming deeper, and... Uh, obviously Tom Bradshaw has dropped to the bench and Tom Bradshaw's not coming on, the new striker's not doing anything, Tom Bradshaw's still on the bench next game, striker's still different Bradshaw's still on the bench fans then, fans are doing you remember the uh, ole 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 at Bolton that he got so strappy about and didn't like mm. yeah. Millwall fans then cheering Tom Bradshaw's name on Tom Bradshaw brought on so after the game, he's digging out the fans. He's digging out the fans. Oh, don't you have a go at my players? What's the point? And all that. He's then digging out about cheering for players that aren't on the pitch and they should be cheering for the ones that are on. It is literally copy and paste from December 2018. And I still, to this day, it is my belief, obviously I have no proof, it is my belief, that he manufactured his exit from Stoke because he didn't feel that that job... He was the wrong. He was the wrong time. Yeah, you know, the wrong person, the wrong time for that job, and he couldn't make it worse. So I think before his reputation was battered, he pushed and pushed so that he could leave. Um, and those comments, he knew exactly what he was doing when he made those comments about the fans and that. And he seems to be going down the same route again here. I think he feels he's had four years nearly at Millwall. I think he's just a few weeks away from four years, and I think. At this point, he's now decided he can't take him on anymore. The league's got stronger. Maybe he feels his budget. He can't, um, you know, he's got him in and around the playoffs. Things he's top 10 finishes every year, three years running. He probably doesn't feel that that's on the cards this year. And a bad end to last season. The fans aren't, aren't behind him as same as the way before. And he wants out. That's how I'm reading the situation. That's how I'm reading the room. And um, to be honest, I mean, I switched. I went on sort of a Millwall 
um, podcasting and on the spaces and just give them just spoke to them but just listening to a few things that were going on being said in there that doesn't feel like I know football fans change their opinion and they can be fickle it does not feel to me like there's any way back the things that are being brought up aren't just like things that have happened in the past few weeks few months it's like going right back to his entire tenure so it's stuff that's been boiling under and they've probably been waiting for a bad run of form to express the fact that they're unhappy with these things um, and for me that's the risk that Gary Rowett runs because you know they, they were singing last week the same song that we sung towards the end of his tenure yeah his football is SH1T it is um, and like right now if we didn't have the results I still feel stick fans would stick behind Alex Neal because there is a there there is a a view that he's trying to build something and he's trying to go somewhere and there's a destination and we might just have to be patient there's a few bumps along the way but we've got to you know hopefully that's where we're going to go and there's actually a plan in place with Rowett I don't think I've never thought anywhere that there's a plan to change anything. I think he just has this way, and that's how it's always going to be. He'll bring in, he'll bring in experienced players who'll do as he's told and won't make mistakes. He'll keep it tight, and it, you know, and that that's the way it'll be. And to me, I think, like I say, you run the risk of a few bad results, and you've got nothing to fall back on then to protect yourself with as a manager. Because without the results, what what are they, what is he giving them? Yeah, exactly that. Even like in the Tony Pulis days with Stoke, like it was all great. Some the football wasn't always really bad. Let's let's be honest. But when you are getting results, people will accept you know mediocre uh, performances. When you stop getting results and you've got mediocre performances or poor performances. There's only so long people will accept that. You know, we go to football every single weekend, Stoke fans, Millwall fans, whatever you are, you go to the football and you want to be entertained fundamentally. Yes, you obviously want wins to go with that, but you want to be entertained. The minute that goes away, the minute fans go away, the minute people get disenchanted, they get annoyed, the owners will no doubt feel that and hear that and they don't want the hassle. They just want a nice, well-run club, um, hopefully a successful one. So, yeah, I think what you will find, again, if we score first, both sides of the coin will be chanting, Gary Rowett, your football is, and that's how it will go. And then that will hopefully see us secure a 3-1 win at the weekend. So the first four goals in a game between Stoke and Millwall for many, many years. Oh, so are you going with 3-1? 3-1. I was ifing it over 2-1. But I think if we again <laughs> we we get that first goal, it, the floodgates will open. Um, I think we'll go two 0 up. They'll pull one back, and Mai will come on just to slot his first goal uh, to make it three one. I think that, like you say, there the first goal is vital. They've only scored twice all season. They, they scored one away at Middlesbrough on the opening day when they, which is the one game this season they've won. They won that game one 0 they then went 281 minutes before the next goal they scored, which was a consolation in injury time, losing away at Norwich 3-1 last weekend. So again, Norwich had probably switched off or something at that point. They were running the clock down, 3-0 up. And like I say, it's a consolation goal. And you think, 
they haven't really got much. What <laughs> drop last season a top scorer, um, and then he's just sort of you know brings him on. I believe he got an assist for the goal as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether Bradshaw plays this weekend for Millwall. Um, or That'll whether everything won't it? Yeah, is if he doesn't play, then to me that that is Rowett sticking two fingers up to the fans and saying, "I don't care if you think he's good enough or if you think he should be playing. The more you chant for him, the less I chance there is of me playing him." Which is exactly what he did, like saying towards the end of his, of his sort of tenure here. Um, they've only won three in the last thirteen overall. I, to me, yeah. Again, first goal's key. Teams run on, be a bad run of form there, down on the look. Fans baying for blood, ready to, ready, you know, desperate to, to, to get it out there, aren't they? And, um, and, you know, and, and let the manager know what they think of him. And I think, like I say, Stoke goal's perfect opportunity. And then it'll probably just snowball from that. And, like I say, a second will probably come. I'm going to go for 2 1. Um, I think he's probably still got a few of the players with him, Ante. So I'm going to go two-one. I think we'll we'll get a couple of goals, and then they'll probably just get one late on, just to give us a bit of a nervy finish. No doubt, that's the way Stoke like to do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think do the uh, do the new lads play for you? No, no, not for me. I think they'll he will stick with. Probably the team that, uh, not starting against Watford, I think he will go back to the, the team that we had versus Rotherham, uh, which is pretty much my team, if I'm honest with you, Dan. I, I think he'll go back to that. Um, he will want to, I, I think he'll want to be a fluid, attacking, pacey type team. Uh, I think probably actually saying that, the, the only changes I think I'm going to make here, so let me just get my team up. So I'm going to go for Trevor's, and then a back four. So we're definitely going for a 4-3-3. It'll be Henry, Wilmot, McNally, Stevens. Midfield three of Lorraine, Pearson and Johnson. And then it will be Tyrese Campbell on the left. Wesley through the middle. Vidigal on the right. And I think Campbell and Vidigal will keep switching. So I have been a couple of changes, I guess, when you think about that. But um, I think he's going to bring Tyrese back into the fold. Yeah, I think... You- They've been playing sort of a 3-5-2 formation, so very sort of middle-heavy there, aren't they? You've got your three centre-backs, your three centre-midfielders and your two strikers. Uh, it changed to 3-4-2-1, I believe, last week, um, which angered the middle fans even more because it drops the M. Fleming further back. Um, and obviously they only had the one striker. I imagine that Toby will probably go back to 3-5-2, but what that does do is, you know, they've only got one person on the right, one person on the left in that formation. Gives plenty of opportunity um, for Hoover and Stevens to get forward on the overlap when we've got the ball and obviously get some two-on-ones. And like I say, if, if uh, Vidigal and Campbell are pinning those full-backs back, those wing-backs back, sorry, and to, to help out the, the right and left centre-halves, then that really is going to... It's going to stem any sort of attacking threat for Millwall, because I say if if Vidigal on one side, Campbell on the other, the wing backs have got to go back and out the centre halves out. They they you know they're getting one on one with them. So where's the attack going to come from Millwall then? 
because basically they then have got a back five, haven't they? You know, usually you say your back, your three centre halves and your wing backs are looking to get forward. Well, if they can't do that, how are Millwall going to get the ball forward? And they'll probably just do what what Rowett loves to just lump it long, won't they? But <laughs> but then there's no support up there for the strikers. And I think, like I say, for me that gives Stevens and Hoover the opportunity again to push push on, push further up forward and be on the front foot and that could really work to our benefit Yeah, yeah, absolutely I, I, I'm not, strangely I'm not afraid of losing this one I know last time I said that it didn't go down too well but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I, I don't, I just don't know I don't feel, again it's the positivity around the club at the minute, I don't feel like we're going to lose this game Um I'm confident. I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with three-one. I'm going to stick with my team. Stick with three-one. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty confident. I, I think for me, it's all about how we approach the game. If we get on the front foot, and and you know, we are going to need McNally. You know, McNally's good in the air. He showed that didn't he at the weekend. Um, we are going to need that because you do need that in a Gary against the Gary Rowett side. Uh, ben Wilmot, I don't, I wouldn't say his biggest strength is in the air, but he's no, he's no, you know, he's not bad aerially at all. I think Wilmot and uh, McNally can do the job there, and then like I say Wesley for me, he would be the key man to get up front because, again, you've got to pick some big strapping centre halves, and I think you're going to need somebody who can. Um, who can bring others into play? And I think that's Wesley's strengths. He is big enough, he's strong enough to you know to give them a battle and also sort of come out of it with the ball, bring your Vinnie Gals, your Campbells, your Lorenz, your Daniel Johnsons into play. You know, can I say Campbell, you know, whoever plays. For me, I like the fact that Campbell's back or whether he walks straight back into this team, um having had no sort of real training for a few weeks, I'm not sure about. Um, wouldn't surprise me to see Ryan May giving away giving a game on the wing, or at least to start. And then uh, obviously you've got, I mean, the options could be <laughs> tackers galore. Take your pick who you're putting on the on the uh, on the bench. With nine subs, I reckon four at least are going to be attackers, aren't they? Yeah. Um. So yeah, the manager's got a manager's got a tough job leaving some out in the stands. Uh. But yeah, I mean, we've we've spoken about Millwall's problems there, haven't we? Let's, let's sort of get closer, somebody closer to the the, the source, if you like, and uh, let's listen to this audio from a Millwall podcast. Hello, guys. I hope you're well. It's uh, Dan here from that Millwall podcast, speaking to you um, ahead of Saturday's game and as well ahead of uh, the season ahead. Um, I have to say, from a Millwall perspective, it's been a pretty underwhelming start. Um, a decent away win at Middlesbrough to start the season and then three below par performances um, and three results that kind of demonstrate that. A 4-0 thumping at home in the Carabao Cup to Reading's kids, um, a loss at home to Bristol City um, and then a 3-1 defeat away at Norwich at the weekend and unfortunately um, I think that we might be coming to the end of Gary Rowett's reign. Um, and I know, obviously, he's been sacked from Stoke before, and I feel like if, if Stoke were to beat us this weekend, um, it could go a long way to potentially getting him pushed even closer towards the exit door. 
Um, unfortunately, the football just isn't pleasing on the eye at all, as you guys are very much aware. And while that hasn't necessarily been a massive problem for me and many other Millwall fans in the past few years, um, I'm well, we've had results to back that up. And at the minute, stretching back as well towards the end of last season, especially the way we spectacularly bottled the playoffs, our form has just slid off a cliff and there's no sign of it returning. Um, so it makes you think, is is uh, Gary Rowett's time coming to an end? The summer overall, in terms of signings, hasn't actually, on, on paper, it's looked OK. On paper, I'd go as far as saying this has been our strongest team since we've been back in the Championship in the last kind of six years. Um, we've got experienced Championship players such as Joe Bryan and Wes Harden who have came in. Um, signed a Belgian midfielder called Casper Denor. He's probably been one of our better players so far, um, despite the results. We've also brought in Kevin Nisbet, who hit the ground running in pre-season, but he's yet to score a goal in the Championship um, so far. And Rowett has openly admitted this week we're looking to add a few more players. And to be honest, after our opening few performances, I'm not entirely surprised. Um, I don't. I'm not getting my hopes up for this weekend's game. Um, especially the way we've performed and that kind of translates now. Start of the season, I thought it might have been kind of in that playoff push um, going towards this season again. I think the league's going to be wide open, but at this moment in time, I can see us being a lot closer and potentially being in that relegation battle than we are going to be in that playoff battle at the minute. But it is still early days, um, so hopefully there is a time to put that right and I know Rao will be keen to get one over um, Stoke this weekend. Oh, cheers for that for the live there at that Millwall podcast. Uh, and also, obviously, we've got the rather reliable, the trusted man, Graham McGarry. Here's what he feels ahead of the match. Here we go again, you Potter predictors. A free week to prepare for the uh, game at the New Den against Millwall. And of course, a meeting with your former manager in Gary Rowett. It's a chance for Stoke to build on an excellent another three points at home and try and get some wins away from home before they go into the international break. With a couple of signings coming in and there's plenty of activity still going on in the transfer market before it comes to the end. But Alex Neal will be well pleased with the selection options that he's got available this weekend. And Stoke, if they really want to be contenders to be in the playoffs or even automatic promotion contenders, they have to start picking up three points away from home. And fingers crossed this is the start of it. But I've just got a feeling they're going to get the Uden on a good timing. Millwall 1, Stoke 2. Cheers to that, Graham. You have uh, you have not been conflabbing with me. You've not been deciding 2-1, um, trying to keep that top spot that you've got last week. Yeah, okay. well, he got the scoreline correct. Now I'm thinking if we all go for wins, I need to think about this and be a bit more strategic this year. So... If I at least get the same prediction as Graham, I just need to hope I get a better um, scoreline and get the scorelines more accurate. Uh, I think that's the way to go. Maybe we should both be a bit more tactical this time round. Well, the rest because we've decided what we would like the, the forfeit to be. It'll be undisclosed at this time until we can get some sort of permission. <laughs> shall we it say? will be. 
it will be very undisclosed, Dan, because it isn't going to happen. <laughs> I'm telling you now. I've, I've been thinking about it all week, and you are not getting me in that situation. Um, and I'll let everyone imagine what that situation might be. Uh, but it's it's certainly it's not, not what you think. More related. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We're not. We're, uh, yeah. I, as I sit here right now, there's more chance of me getting a season ticket at Vale Park. So, um, yeah. <laughs> think of something else. If it happens, then you've got to do it. Swallow your pride, man. Nothing about nothing about a bit of public humiliation. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> what, in front of 30,000 people, potentially, on their promotion charge? I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> You're down in folklore. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. Uh, right, let's do a bit of Super 6. So, how did you do this week? Do you know? I do know because I've got all of it in front of me. So um, I shall tell you how the scores go because you, uh, I'm sick of hearing your voice. So uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, round three, uh, we've I'll got. Drink, give it a rest. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, guys, it's very hard to uh, to get Dan to shut up sometimes. Um, so I'm not joking, Dan. I love him really. Uh, so yeah, uh, this week I didn't do very well, if I'm honest with you. Um, I only got a quite poor eight points. Uh, you picked up 11. I'm not sure if you realise that yourself, but uh, we were neck and neck for a while when I was watching it during the game, and, yeah, you must have had some late goals or something, so you got 11 points. So you're sitting... That's what I did, Is that what it is? So, yeah, you're sitting in um, joint 13th right now. Uh, sorry, for the week, that's for the week, by the way. It's joint 13th for, for the week, uh, along with two or three other people. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jill, your top for this week was 16 points. Uh, we've got Luke Higgins in second of 14. And we've got um, a few people. So David Wayne, Gary Lee, Adam Ryder, Callum Nevin, all joint third for the week. Uh, but overall for the season, Dan, me and you are on joint oh, 17 no. points. So first joint 41st. Yeah, it's uh, it's a close one. It was it was close most of, most of the season, and then you kept apparently forgetting. I just think you realised you weren't as good as me, so you didn't carry on. But you apparently forgot. So either way, uh, like the the natural leaderboard completely changed around this week, and it will probably keep doing that for a while yet. So if you aren't in the league, it's still not too late. Uh, just your pin for the league is X Y seven H eight T. So uh, feel free to join. There's 160 of you in there. Um, and, yeah, it's good to see where people go throughout the season. Yep, yeah, I've got Paul Hurd and Matthew Pye joint top overall. Is that what you've got? Yeah, that's what I've got. And then a whole lot of people on 25, including Jill, who you mentioned earlier on, who has a massive 16 points. Uh, Gaffer. I don't know, you've not dug into Gaffer, have you? I'm no good at it, so no. I've got I've got nobody to talk to about Gaffer this week. I've got I'm twenty second in our table on hundred and eighty seven points. Uh hoovering up or hoovering up as it suppose it should be oh, said. Give over with these bloody jokes. Proper granddad jokes or dad jokes these are. Is <laughs> top on two four five. Bon Vivon is a second on two three five. And then Anthony Hobbs is also a joint second on two, three, five. Uh, so, yes, I've, I've climbed the table. I've had a decent week on Gaffer. 
Um, I'm, I'm aiming for top 10. I want to be in the top 10 coming into the season. So I've got a bit of work to do there. Um, right, one last thing we've got to do, mate, is your quiz for the week. Oh, joy. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I'm going to give you three lives this week. It's a bit you. you funny how you mentioned it earlier on. We mentioned um, mentioned Clive Clark. That is from this era, and uh, obviously oh. you mentioned that when we were younger and stuff like that. So this is we've had so far, haven't we? We've had championship, top six championship since we got relegated, appearances, and then goals. So this one is you know before we got promoted. So when we when we came back into the second tier in what two thousand and two, right until two thousand and eight, which of the six what? players, which six players had the most appearances in the league in those six years? Oh, now okay, there's the only six of them who got over a hundred. So it's which six players got over a hundred games. Would you like me to read you the list of the players that got 50 or more to give you? Um, so, no. No, you don't want, you don't want the list? Of no, let's, let, let's, 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 keep it, let's keep it hard. Um, oh, hello. Um, so, oh, God. This oh. podcast going downhill. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> no, I've, I've got, I'm going to throw some names out there because the, the instant names that I'm thinking of is some, you know, Real regular players. Um, so I'm going to start from the defence because I swear in 2002, 2003, that would have been the Peter Handy side and Sergei Stanyuk, um partnership, if I remember rightly. Uh, so Did they stick around. You have to think they've got to have played under. I know. Months. Yep. Yeah. So I, that's the only thing that crosses my Mine with with one or two of them, so a hundred appearances. I think at that time as well, we would have had Wayne Thomas, wouldn't he? But Wayne, oh god, I don't think he would have got a hundred appearances. Okay, Andy Wilkinson, he might not have played much for us back then, but obviously for how long he was with us, Wilco must be up there. I think. Oh, I'm not sure. Maybe go with Andy Wilkinson. No, Wilkinson. Oh. Uh, he only played uh, only just around just over thirty games in the really? championship before we got promoted. Yeah, yeah. Going into that promotion campaign, he only had eleven. He'd only well, it feels 11 like games. he played loads more than that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I will tell you that Stanik and Handyside both played forty-four games that first season that we were up, and they both left that summer. Okay. So discard both of those two. So this is a hundred appearances between two thousand and two and two thousand and eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, who else was? Oh, mind you, you wouldn't have been either. Um, we had loads of goalkeepers during that time as well. That's not very helpful. Uh... I'll give you a clue. Two of them. Were in the squad that got promoted to the Premier League and played in the Premier League. Oh, it couldn't have. Imagine, imagine probably Liam Lawrence then. 
Liam Lawrence now Liam Lawrence sixty eight games. Liam My Lawrence. My God, mate, this is this is crazy. I mean, obviously got like Rick Fuller, of course, but right. So this is yeah, I, this hundred odd is not going to be good for me. I'm afraid, mate. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you've got one life left. Would you like me to give you the list of fifty pluses? It's not going to help me. No, right. You've, I'll tell you what. You've named one of them so far. Wayne Thomas. Wayne Thomas, one hundred and fifteen games. See, that surprises me. I I know Wayne played a lot of games, but I wouldn't have gone for that many at all. Yeah, he played 41, um, 41 the first season back in the Championship. Well, it was Division 1 at the time. And then 39 the second and 35 the third season before he left. He actually played 250 times for Stoke as well, overall. Right, OK. Um... So if Wayne Thomas was at right back, who was across the other side? Oh, Clive Clark. Clive Clark, who also played 115 times <laughs> in the three Thomas. seasons before he left. Uh, so yeah, they're, really they're to a joint fourth. So yeah, you've got your first, your second, your third, and your sixth. Um, about, um, is there an, can I ask, is there another defender in this? Uh, let me have a look. No, you've got a strike. Oh, wow, okay. Number one is a centre mid. Number six is a centre mid. Number two is a goalkeeper, and number three is a striker. Interesting. Okay, Tommy Sorensen. Oh, my God, I'm trying to think. Got Sorensen. You got Simonson around this these years. I can't think of the years though. I mean, Simo. God, we had some keepers. We had, we had Carlo Nash then, didn't we? Fulop, Simo, Tom, um, Sorensen. I'm going to go Glenn Whelan. I, I can't think of any more midfielders at the minute. Right. So I'll tell you now. The mid, uh, Glenn Whelan's not. I'll give you an extra laugh, though. I'll tell you that um, the two centre midfielders were before that era, were like earlier on. It's the goalkeeper and the striker who were the one part of the team that got promoted. Well, Simonson was in goal, wasn't he? So Simonson is second on the list with 158 appearances. And he says striker. Who would have been the striker? It's not Big Mama, is it? Big Mama Sadibi, 120 matches. <laughs> He's third. Oh, Because wow. obviously he was signed yeah. um, when Pulis first left, didn't he? He was the first signing for you on Boscamp. Of course it would have been, um, yeah. So, yeah, so you've got number one and number six. Now, number six never really moved away from the potteries his whole career. He was also a crab, a bit like Jordan Thompson. <laughs> I mean, is it Selif Diaw? Couldn't be Selif Diaw. He didn't play 100 games for us, no chance. Not in the championship, no. No. Um... It was Dave Brammer. Brammer, bloody hell. 105 matches. He was the one no that never moved out the potteries. And then number one on the list, 171 championship appearances. 46 in his first, so every game in his first season. 45 in his second. 37 in his third. And 33 in his fourth season before returning back to Norwich, the club we signed him from. Any ideas? 
Daryl Russell. Well, I was going to say, yeah, Daryl Russell is the only one I can think who played for both. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was pretty pretty poor that, but that's tricky though, 100, because some of the players that I think of, I'm like, oh, we played loads, and it's not that they played loads, it's that you've got probably fond memories of them that cloud your judgment of how many times they actually played. Yeah, and then there's some... A bit like, like if you're doing this quiz in like 10, 15 years' time, for example, and you said Jordan Thompson was on that list, and people were forgetting Jordan Thompson probably existed. No yeah. offence to him, because, like I say, he's racked up a lot of appearances without maybe influencing many games or doing anything memorable, shall we say. But yes, um, I think that's it, isn't it? That's it for this week. Uh, if you, I'd say, if you uh, would like to follow us and, and join our shiny new website, shiny new forum, please feel free. Uh, the more traffic, like I say, we can direct on there, um, the better. And we shall. We promise to keep it a. Um, we, it'll be plenty of banter without any aggressiveness. That's what we. That's what we're aiming <laughs> for, isn't it, Mark? It's exactly what we're aiming for. When three people down while they've been recording this podcast have just signed up as well. So three more people uh, have joined the list. So uh, welcome to everybody there. But yeah, um, if you want to go again, just a bit of a reminder. So it's the initials of every step along the way. I'm sure you can figure it out. But it's uh, obviously E-S-A-T-W. <laughs> I'll never get that. We should have chosen something a bit more simple. E-S-A-T-W.co.uk. But so... Uh, we hope we are going to be back on a Monday because we've got a cup game, haven't we? We've got a cup game against Rotherham um, in midweek next week. So yeah, to uh, so we'll be back in your ears on Monday. So until then, let's uh, go get three points from the new den. Go on, Stoke. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.